Well, what I'm going to speak about today is extremely important to have. And, and to illustrate it, I'm going to remind you of possibly a, an advertisement you've seen on TV. It starts off with a lady screaming in, in obvious, obvious uh, distress. And then it pans to the window of her car. So she's the driver and right there next to her head, someone's pounding on, on her window. And uh, it pans back to her, she screaming, and it looks like a case of road rage. And then the camera zooms out. And you see that she's in a car that's been involved in an accident and the engine bay's on fire. And she's in distress, not because this guy's banging on the glass, but because she's afraid she's going to die. And the guy is banging on there because he's doing everything he can to save her life. Context. Context is all important. Unfortunately, our politicians are really good at taking things out of context and skewing each other's words. But context is vital. And when we take a look at this passage in Scripture, let me tell you, when you take a look at the context, we realize it's got very little to do with Moses. At first, it seems to be all about Moses, the, the call of Moses, Moses and the burning bush. But when we pan out and see the context, the title changes. God's aching heart for his needy people. Get the context and everything changes in terms of the focus. And so when we take a look at the, the context, when we pan out and take a look what was surrounding what happened at that, that burning bush, um, we see something about God that's so important for us to see in the installation of elders this morning. Moses was, was having this encounter that was going to completely change his life. It was going to turn it upside down. But it wasn't about him. It was about God. In Exodus 3, 7, we read, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. This is what the burning bush was about. I've seen their misery. I've heard them crying out. I'm concerned about their suffering. And we could just leave it there and think not much more of it. But there's more detail as to what was the need of Israel at that time. And when you understand a little bit more about the detail of what Israel was going through, then you understand what was tugging at the heart of God for his people. In Exodus 1, verses 11 to 14, we read of the Egyptians, so they put slave masters over them, that's the Israelites, to oppress them with forced labor. They built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. All their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Did you pick up those words? They were oppressed. They were in forced labor. They were worked ruthlessly. Their lives were bitter. And then the worst thing of all. 
Did you, did you hear the more they were oppressed, the more they grew in number? The more they multiplied and, and the Egyptians became even more scared of them? And so we get one of the first accounts of the attempt of genocide. You know how Israel is before the high court at the moment, brought there by South Africa with a charge of genocide for what's going on in Gaza. You know, Ukraine is gathering evidence to prove a case of genocide against Russia. Well, here's a biblical account of an attempt at genocide, the wiping out of an entire people. And so the decree came from Pharaoh, when an Israelite boy is born, kill him. The idea was that they wouldn't be able to increase in number anymore, and eventually they would die off as a race. This was the, the, the situation Israel found itself in. Their suffering was intolerable. It was just beyond description. Can you imagine the, the, the distress in, in that land, the, the weeping of families, especially of mothers, as their boys, boy child was being put to death. Hence Moses needing to be put into a basket onto the Nile to save his life. That was the context of that cute little story about him in a basket, ending up in, in the palace of Pharaoh. It was because all the other boys were being put to death. That was the need of Israel. God's heart was aching. God's heart was aching for his people. In Ezekiel, you have this interesting passage with regard to the beginnings of, of his people. In Ezekiel 16.4, we read, On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or, or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on, with, on you with pity or with compassion. No one did that enough to do any of the things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, and, for, and on the day you were born, you were despised. That's the context. That was God's people's need at the time. And so when elders are installed, as they've been done this morning, it's all about the need of God's people. See, God hasn't changed. Do you understand this? God loves you so much. This isn't an administrative thing that happened today. It wasn't just about filling up a committee. It has to do with our need as a congregation. And what's a congregation? It's a gathering together of God's people in one locality. And in the midst of that congregation, there is need. And God's heart aches for you. Do you understand that? God's heart aches for you. And so what you saw this morning in the installation of, of three elders is a demonstration of how much God loves you. He wants you to be cared for. He wants you to be nurtured. He wants compassion shown towards you. He wants you to have help to grow spiritually, to draw closer to Jesus. In any congregation, there's, there's great need. For example, you, you have young and old, all living in a, in a world that's putting the pressure on to conform to its godlessness. 
You have struggles with health and with insecurities of life, the financial problems of these days. Can't turn on the TV without hearing about the cost of living. And, you know, if you've got a mortgage, you're, you're taking a look at what the RBA is going to do next. I'm sure you're all glued to the screens last Tuesday. What's going to go up? What's going to stay the same? And we were told that quite possibly by the end of the year, rather than go down, it's going to go up by another two. A lot of people are suffering on account of that. And there's heartbreaking grief and loneliness. You know, I've told by many widows over the years, the toughest time of the day is nighttime after dinner. They've had the opportunity to go out, they've had the opportunity to socialise, but nighttime after dinner, they sit in their homes and they're alone. That's when they miss their departed spouse the most. That's tough. And then there's the increasing limitations of senior years, especially with the onset, possibly for many, of dementia and Alzheimer's. God's people in the context of a congregation, there are so many needs, and God aches for us and wants through the elders to be as Christ to us, to, to, to meet us where we are in our need. And it's not just for us as a congregation, but God also aches for his world. And we see that demonstrated in the cross of Jesus. We see it, first of all, demonstrated in the coming of Jesus. For God so loved the world. See, there's the aching heart again. God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son. So whoever believes in him will not perish. God doesn't want people to perish. So those who believe will not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. And so when we take a look at that need and we begin to understand that this is what the calling of Moses is all about, that God's about to do something. He's not going to sit idly by. And so we see that in, in that Ezekiel passage. God comes by when when. You know, this child has been left and, and no one's looking after him. And God says, live! And so we read in Exodus 3, verses 8 and 9, so I've come down to rescue them. God didn't say, I'll pray for them. Now, that's what a lot of people do. They say, oh, I'll pray for you. I heard something really interesting. I forget where it was. Um, don't know whether, whether it was a devotion I read. Um, but someone mentioned, it, it's nice to know you're being prayed for. But what was appreciated the most was, oh, that's right, it was on conversations on the ABC. Um, this family was going through a really, really difficult time. And Nigella, you know the cook? For an, uh, a number of months, she cooked a meal that was sufficient for three days. She didn't say, I'll pray for you or whatever else. She cooked the meal and every week, same time she delivered the meal, and that went on for months. She wasn't asked to. She didn't say, I'm thinking about you. She just did something. God didn't just look and ache for his people. He did something. So I came down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. The 
cry of his people reached him. And God couldn't just sit there. God moved and he called Moses. And this is something you and I know of. We, we used to sing of it in, in a couple of songs. Here, here's a little test. I want you to call out as loud as you can so I can hear. I'm, I'm getting a bit deaf these days. See if you can fill in the gap. When you know sorrow within your life, I will come, I will. Anyone know the words, next words? From strong and constant is my love. I will embrace your heart. When you know sorrow within your life, I will come and I will embrace your heart. That captures this passage. Can you imagine God embracing your heart? When you've got sorrow in your life, I will come to you. I will embrace your heart. And then here I am, Lord, the song. I, the Lord of sea and sky, I have heard my people cry. All who dwell in dark and sin, my hand will save. It hasn't changed. We, we sing of that in those sorts of songs. But there's a bigger picture. God wasn't just concerned for Israel then. His aching heart was also already back then for you and me. In the calling of Abraham, Genesis 15, God had foretold that the descendants of Abraham would end up in Egypt and be slaves for 400 years. Listen to this. Then the Lord said to him, that's Abraham, so this is before Isaac, this is before Jacob, from whom the 12 sons came, from whom the 12 tribes came, from whom Israel came. So this is long before there's a nation. And what does God say? The Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I'll punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they'll come out with great possessions. See, when you get the full context, it's God not only concerned about Israel, but also God concerned for his world, for God so loved the world. What do we read in uh, Romans uh, 9, 5 concerning the Israelites? Theirs are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ. That's where Jesus came from. You see the context? You see the bigger picture? And so when Pharaoh gave the order to kill all the children, the, the male children, of the Israelites, that wasn't just Pharaoh. We see a number of times in, in history, biblical history, that Satan tries to wipe out the Jews. This was just one case. You find another case in the days of Esther. You find King Herod trying to kill Jesus by having all the children two years under in Bethlehem wiped out. This is Satan at work trying to stop God's redeeming work. But that work is what? What's it all about? God's aching heart for us. It says in 2 Peter 3, 9, with regard to, to those who think, well, where is Jesus coming? He's, he's taking his time. It, you know, it's been over 2,000 years. What, what's, what's going on? That's what we can say today. Well, back in those days, that was also going on. And, and this is what's said in Second Peter. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, 
He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the heart of God, not a vengeful, judging God, but a God whose heart is aching for the lost. When God called Moses, he not only had the Jews back in Egypt in mind, you and I were also on his heart. The salvation of his elect people going right forward into time to the return of Jesus, all these people were on his heart. So when we think about leadership, we, we have to think about what it's all about. It's about God and his care for us. And when we take a look at Moses and, and see how he argued about not being the right person to go and, and could God send someone else, he failed at a most critical point when it comes to leadership. He failed to be God in his attitude towards God's people. God had this big heart, this compassionate heart. He cared and Moses didn't. And that's why the words of Jesus are so compelling in contrast. In John 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The bad shepherds are the ones that get hired. And when, when danger comes, they run in the opposite direction and they leave the sheep to get slaughtered. But not Jesus. I'm the good shepherd. I care for my sheep. And when it comes to danger, I would rather die than they die. I lay down my life for the sheep. Moses eventually learned. He started out on the wrong foot. But in Exodus 32, 32, God in, in this moment is saying, I'm going to wipe out all Israel. Step aside, Moses. You know the, the story of the golden calf? I'm going to come and I'm going to wipe out this people. And what does uh, Moses say to God? Please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book that you've written. Did you hear that? Please forgive their sin, but if you're not going to forgive their sin, then kill me. Take my life in their place. What a contrast, what a change. That's to be the heart of an elder. That's what it is to be a leader in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, like Moses, God calls leaders to be like him, to be like God, to be like Jesus. And that's no easy task. Let's make no bones about it, folks. In every congregation, you have what I call joy suckers. And I'm, I'm not denigrating people. I'm just saying this is a fact. You have people, when you see them coming, all joy gets sucked out of you because all they ever do is just criticize. They have nothing helpful, constructive, uplifting to say. It's always hard work. It's not that you don't love them. It's not you don't care about them, but this is just the reality. But you know what? God has an aching heart for them, and we have to have an have a aching heart for them too. 
Moses in uh, Exodus 17 has this is recorded. But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die here? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. I think many a pastor have felt that at times. Whether they're easy to get along with, whether they're difficult, Christ died for them. An elder, just like a, a minister of the word, can't pick and choose who he wants to go and visit. The most difficult visit, the most heartbreaking visit, is a visit to be done with joy and gladness in Christ, knowing that we're called to be Christ to them too, to love them, to have compassion upon them, to try and lead them to Jesus. There's a beautiful passage in Hebrews 6 that tells us as leaders how God wants us to remember how he views things when, when we uh, serve him faithfully. It says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people. Do you hear that? You, you guys who are elders and new elders, sometimes it may appear to be a thankless task, a real difficult task. You may ask yourself, what am I doing here? And the Lord says, just help them. Just be with them. Just be Christ to them. And I won't forget it. And as you show help towards them, you're demonstrating love towards me. Isn't that a beautiful connection? To the degree that you, you help my people, even the difficult ones, so you are expressing love for me. And I won't forget it. And so here we are, three new elders, going to be joining a team of elders. Pray for them. Ask the Lord to, to give them everything they need, especially in the difficult times, and there will be many. Pray that they will have the compassion and the patience and the love of Jesus for every member. The, the patience they need, especially to work with those who are wandering away and, and don't want to come back at, at a particular point in time. Pray for success in their work. That people will be uplifted. People will be comforted in their distress and sorrow. That those who are falling away will be brought back. But remember this, it's not just their work. First of all, it's the Spirit's work through them. So everything they need, they're going to get. The Holy Spirit promises to empower them and enable them to do the work He calls them to do. But they're not the only ones. The Bible tells us as all members, we should carry each other's burdens. Hear that? Carry each other's burdens. Not just the elders. Carry each other's burdens. Pray for each other. When one is wandering, bring him back. It's not talking about elders, it's talking about everybody. There's that sense in which we all should be saying, brother, sister, let me be as Christ to you. There's a special work of the eldership 
Yes. And they will be held to an account, an account far stricter than any congregational member. Uh, Paul, when he finished his work, you know what he said? There's no blood on my hands. I have faithfully taught the whole counsel of God. Scripture tells us that elders need to do their work seriously and faithfully because they will be held to an account. But every one of us needs to make their work lighter by looking after each other, being as Christ to one another. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. We thank you for your aching heart. We thank you for your indescribable, incomprehensible love for us. And we have to acknowledge and, and, and confess, Lord, that we're no different than Israel in the past. We too have those times when we're obstinate and, and arrogant, when we're stiff-necked, when we're rebellious. Lord, we, we pray that you'll forgive us for those times. We also pray that you'll forgive us when we think it's a, a bit of a pain when elders want to come and do a pastoral visit and we've got to make time um, to be with them, time in, in a really busy schedule or when things aren't going well and, and it's just one more stress upon another. Forgive us, Lord, when we don't see that that call to um, arrange a visit is really Jesus picking up the phone and saying, can I come? Father, we, we pray that you'll help us, each one, to receive their visits and to receive their admonitions, but also their um, encouragements uh, with joy and gladness, knowing that through them, Jesus is speaking to us. And so we ask that you'll give them everything they need for the work they do. But also, Lord, we pray indeed that you'll uh, help each one of us to be as Christ to each other. Help us to uh, ease the burden um, of the care of the congregation uh, by looking after one another as well. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to realize that as body, members of the body of Jesus, each member has the responsibility of, of the care for the other members as well. And as we do this, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be a people that the community around us wants to belong to, that they see this love that we have for one another and they say, I want to be a part of that. So the witness that we give may not just be by word as to statements of belief, may not be just by a door knock, but may they witness the love and affection that we have for each other and may that be a draw card. So watch over us, Lord. Help us to be a congregation that brings honor and glory to you. And we pray that uh, you will help us to go forward, not in our own strength, but in Jesus' name and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.